0: Listening to Scott H. Silverman's Happy Hour, a podcast released on the first three Wednesdays of the month. Family crisis, relationship crisis, addiction crisis no two crisis situations are the same. They vary by family, individual, and relationship. They can encompass complex family dynamics, emotional distress, anger issues, and entitlements, and often involve substance abuse. This podcast addresses these issues and others surrounding the addiction epidemic currently plaguing this country and the world. There is hope and help.
1: Are you stuck, scared or unsure of what to do next? If a situation with a loved one, spouse, or even a child has started to spiral, possibly becoming dangerous or threatening, it's time to seek help. My name is Scott H. Silverman. I help families navigate crisis situations. I'm the person you turn to in order to get you and your loved ones
2: unstuck. Welcome back to the show. This is Michael Glenn Moore. I'm Scott's happy happy hour. I'm Scott's co-host. You're (laughs) listening to Scott H. Silverman's Happy Hour. Uh, And Scott, believe it or not, I got some sleep last night. I got up at a decent hour, so today I'm actually with you instead of just being a lump in the room. So um, not with him physically, of course. I live in Louisiana. He's in California. But uh, Scott, why don't you tell everybody why you give out your phone number and why it's important to you?
1: Well, thanks, Michael, and uh, you know, it is nice to have you up and refreshed and coffeeed up, and hopefully you've had your oatmeal and you're ready to go. Uh, this is Scott H. Silverman, and I use my middle initial because when people Google me, I want to make sure that they <laughs> can find out anything and everything they ever wanted to know, plus my uh, buddy now over the long term in Japan who doesn't have uh, the middle initial gets my stuff and he gets upset about it sometimes, and my phone number, just for the record, is 619-993-2738. My affiliations are Confidential Recovery. It's an outpatient program here in San Diego. And yourcrisiscoach.com is where I work with families as a family navigator. And Safe Home Coalition is a nonprofit we're going to talk a little bit about today because of my connection with Sandy. And, you you know, I give out my phone number because I want people to call me. You know, we're we're in an environment right now in our country that's complicated, that can be depressing. Uh, there's lots of trauma. Uh, we are seeing suicide rates go up and I don't want to go through the list of negative stuff cause we, we try to stay positive here. Hence the name happy hour. And it's important for people to know from my perspective that if you have a question, you have a comment, you have a suggestion, you have a fear, you have a family member or friend or someone that you care about. Um, and you want to talk about it, call me or text me 619-993-2738. My coaching by the way is done mostly by phone. And we can Zoom, you know, we can Skype, we can FaceTime, and we can talk on the phone. But if you don't make a phone call, I don't know (laughs) how to help. That's why I put my phone number out there. And I'm one of those kind of people, when I see a number I don't know on my phone, I like to pick it up. And the reason is, I know it may be an opportunity for me to help a family and maybe even potentially help steer someone to treatment, recovery, support, and or avoid going to a funeral. So that's why I give out my number. So thanks, Michael, for that question. So, you know, for those of you who don't know, Michael is is the brains of this outfit. And, you know, he lets me talk because um, my I get up earlier than he does because of the time zone. But Michael's the guy who puts everything together, helps get the coordination going. And being in Louisiana, he uh, enables me electronically to put it all together. And then he pushes everything out to social media. So, you know, in a city like yours, that's Michael's brand. And he'll tell you more about that at the end. But meantime, know that you know, none of this can be done without his support and effort. So today, today, you know, I, I get a chance to talk to a lot of people, and when you tell people you're doing a podcast, most people generally say, "Hey, well, well, I'd like to do that." But this lady, you know, I had to wait a few months to get my format down, because she was uh, very picky about making sure that I got it right. But she's, a, uh, she's, she's more than just a guest today. She's a friend, she's a colleague, she's an inspiration, and she's one of my heroes. And when you hear her talk and you hear her story, what she's doing, what she's done and what she's doing, uh, you'll understand exactly why, I if you will, I brand her that way. I don't like to use those words, but Sandy Nolan is an awesome person who has had her own life experience. Again, she'll share that, but I, I want to welcome her to the show today, and I hope all of you get a chance to not only listen to what she has to say, but hear in her voice what she's saying and why she's saying it. So, Sandy first of all, welcome, and thanks for being here.
0: Thank you, Scott. I'm happy to be here. appreciate awesome. you inviting me to do this.
1: Well, remember, you're the one that told me, get it, get it, get it together for a couple of months, then call I, me when you know it.
0: I don't mean. think
1: I do. oh, Wasn't that you? Okay. It might have been somebody Somebody who lives in your neighborhood. Okay. I'm, okay. Just, I'm just teasing. Anyway, so let me start off with the first question. Um, why don't we start with simply, how did you and I, how did we meet? Why did we meet? And, 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 Let's, let's share that, at least with our listeners, because I know there's, there's people sometimes from all over the country, because of the bandwidth that Michael's created, might um, hear this message. And I think, mm-hmm. um, as people understand what your role has been on the planet, and how all this fits together with my, my passion and love for helping others like you do, um, they'll make that connection. So, how did we meet? Do you remember? And, and, and what was going yeah. on?
0: Well, I, you know, you everybody knows what you did. You just explained it for probably the the 10th or 12th time or whatever, um, my life changed about 12 years ago, and our path started to cross about that time. It was in 2008 when I lost my son to a heroin overdose. And like a lot of parents, I'm looking, I was looking for something to do. To um, try to keep it from happening to other families, it's, um, it's a horrible thing, but you learn a lot when you go through that kind of a tragedy. Um, I didn't, you know, I didn't understand addiction at all, Um, but you get to understand it and you start seeing the things that you maybe could have done differently um, that could have, could have, could have changed the, the course. So um you and I just you know fundraisers um the prescription drug task force we just ran into each other quite often in and in, in those those kind of situations because you know I was doing what I was doing and you're doing what you were doing basically um so, you know, everybody, a lot of people, when, they're, when, they're, when they lose a child, they'll start a foundation or something like that. And I really made that a pretty conscious decision that I wasn't going to do that, but I would jump in with other people's foundations and see what I could do to help them. And, and initially, um, for me, it was um, it, parent education, dr- any kind of drug education, whether it's kids or parents. And, um, and that's, you know, that's kind of how we, that's kind of how we met. I do remember the very first time I met you and that was at, uh, the, uh, um, SIMO, um, fundraiser. And I think you had just written a book and you and I started to talk and I had been down to, um, second chance with my, with, with actually with that son, and we did one of those adopt-a-blocks, and so I was so, so impressed with the with the foundation, you know, the, your your foundation, your initial, original foundation, and so we talked a lot about that. So that was kind of the start.
1: That's great. Yeah, I don't know if you remember though, but when we kind of reconnected because there was a gap there, for, I think for a few years at the prescription yeah. drug abuse task force. And by the right. way, the prescription drug abuse task force here in San Diego is a coalition of criminal justice, education, strategy people, uh, I call them bean counters, treatment providers, educators, you know, the, the, the common city, public commerce individuals who are involved with, you know, the education, hopefully, and the prevention of the things that go on around substance abuse and drugs and alcohol and vaping and smoking and things of that nature. And I remember when I first saw you and we kind of reconnected, I said, so what are you doing here? I don't know if you remember what you said to me, but I'll tell you, uh, this is how I remember it. You know, we remember things differently, but you, you said to me, I said, so what are you doing here? And you said, well, I'm just a mom. Yes. And and I said, so, you know, and then I had not known what had taken place and you shared a bit. And I think you were actually presenting a couple months later and I heard the story and I remember how brave it was that you were to, you know. raise your hand and and share about it and it's not easy but you know and that that was that was gosh that was 12 years ago
0: well the prescription task force didn't really get going until maybe that maybe was maybe nine years ago okay yeah and and that was pretty overwhelming to go to those meetings because I I was at um Tom now I'm drawing a blank on his last name but Tom was just starting to think about starting it and he invited myself and Keon to go and there was one other mom and then some under, undercover cops and we were just starting to talk about it and then I sort of lost touch with those guys and then jumped back in and all of a sudden it was, you know, everybody was professionals and so that's why <clears throat> I said I'm just a mom because <laughs> everybody else sort of, it was, you know, seemed like a lot of professionals.
1: Right. And Tom, Tom actually, he was the, uh, if I'm not mistaken, he was one of the senior supervisors for the DEA here in San Diego, right? Yes. Yes.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: And when I met my me 12 years ago, that's when you actually lost your son. And it was a couple of years later right. that you got involved. And, it, it, you know, right. I, I, I think I was involved a couple of years after that, when I started, you know, confidential recovery and was actively involved with the treatment arena. So, yeah. you, you know, it's 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 interesting when you think about, you know, what parents go through. And I remember, you know, I lost a brother uh, almost 30 years ago mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't around substance abuse. It was HIV, AIDS. But mm-hmm. I remember my mom saying, you know, a parent should never lose a child, have to lose a child. Yeah. You know, and I, 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 it's really hard for me. And I, you know, I work with a lot of people who go through a lot of stuff, but I can't even imagine. But tell me from your perspective, uh, what is the most frustrating part uh, of being a parent advocate if you will around, around what you do your commitments you make your volunteerism what's the most frustrating part
0: you know it's it's probably hearing from other parents <clears throat> well one it's it's difficult to get parents to go to any of those meetings and when they do what i quite often hear is you know oh my gosh my kids would never you know they would never do that and, and I think as a parent, you try to come up with all these reasons. It's such a horrible thought. You come up with all these reasons why it couldn't happen to you. You know, my son's an athlete. He's really good in school. He um, he went through the D.A.R.E. program. He kept telling his parents not to, you know, his grandparents not to smoke. So, you know, there's no way that my son would because, you know, he has all these things going for him or he's really religious. You know, there's so many things. But, um, I've seen every single kind of, of child turn to drugs and it's hard to know why that happens. And I, I think sometimes it could just be circumstances, just, you know, a cool friend that says, Hey, try it. And they end up really liking the feeling. Um, but so I think the most frustrating thing is when somebody just shuts it down and, and they, they don't want to listen. Um, and, and, until, they find, until it's too late, until the evidence is right in front of them that their child's doing drugs. And, and really, you know, you've got you've to convince your kids that they shouldn't try drugs because once they do and, and if they do like it, it's a, it's a tough road back. Um, and I think any parent, you, you, you know that better than I do, but <clears throat> you know that as well as I do. But I, I would say that's the most frustrating thing is is really just you know closing closing their um, their mind to the possibility of you know just keep your eyes open.
1: Well, tell me, let me let me take you to a little bit of a, an uncomfortable valley. But tell me and share <laughs> with us when with your son, I mean mm-hmm. about you know. How was he in school? Was he involved with sports? What were his relationships like with, you know, the, the family yeah. and the other siblings? I mean, from your perspective on your personal journey, how was it, you know, in, in your world? Because to your point about yeah. no parent wants to believe their child's ever going to be involved with anything. And I, I mean, the level of mm-hmm. denial or, or it won't happen to me. I mean, we're seeing it today. A crazy example is this mask issue and people say if you don't wear a mask it's like driving drunk but you know some people say no I want my own choice you know so right tell us from your own personal experience what that was like with your son and and, and you know, and your sibling and there's his siblings
0: yeah so Jerry um I mean the kids were super close before I had four boys so they were they were kind of four peas in a pod and and all got along great um but Jerry was probably the more classic type of person that turns to drugs. He was my artist, my musician, um, and not a great student, super smart kid, but you know, didn't work hard in school. Um, so from that standpoint, I would say that he was pretty, you know, he, he, he kind of fits the, the, The mold a little more than a lot of other kids that I've seen that were, that really were big, really surprised me that they turned to drugs. But Jerry, um, so as he started, as he, I would say by about 16 or so, you know, all of a sudden his friends just became so much more important and was, you know, of course, spending less time with his family, which is, you know, pretty typical Um, but Jerry did go away to college. He ended up, he got a film degree. Um, he, he did graduate. He actually had a job. He went off to, um, the, a group of them went to, I think it was Virginia, uh, Maryland actually, and, and lived there for a while and were trying to start a company that didn't end up going, but he got two jobs while he was there, worked his jobs, you know and i'm not really sure when his addiction started um i think it was you know but he had he had done it uh, uh, before that he actually he actually had experimented with um heroin for probably years before he came became fully addicted but he loved it so i would say so were that you were Church you happened.
1: aware of that you know when you talk about his journey to no. school you know no. So you weren't aware of it at that time. So when, you know, and here he is, he's on this path, he's going to school, you know, everything, you know, that he's demonstrating are the traditional things that a parent wants to see a child do, right?
0: Absolutely. Plus he was vegan. So he was so particular about his health <laughs> yeah. that I thought, you know, wow, like why would he's not going
1: to be the guy that picks up the cigarette and starts smoking or, you know,
0: no, wow. I didn't think so. Um, but that's the one that I kind of hung on when I started wondering about him. Um, But no, yeah, he, uh, we found all all this out later that he had actually tried it in high school. Um, So, you know, five years later, um, I get a call from one of his friends that they found a needle in his room. He was, he was staying with them for a little bit right after he moved back from the East Coast. And, uh, and it was from, I got the call from a dad of one of his friends who had died from an overdose and so he was the one, you know, to get that call from him, I, I, I knew this was serious. And I, I didn't realize that anybody was doing heroin. I didn't even realize that the other boy had died from a heroin overdose. I knew, knew it was drugs, but I didn't really know what it was. I mean, heroin was such a foreign word to me that, um, I mean, that's how, you know, out of touch I was about it.
1: So, so you as a parent, you weren't you weren't understanding what he was doing and ignoring it. You, you were not even thinking about that he was doing it, and there was not enough going on behaviorally outside or from your perspective, outside looking in, that you could really tell or diagnose or have a sense that this potential either experimentation or trajectory that he was on was something that was giving you any real clues on what you could, should, or how you might be able to respond or react to what's going on. So it was hidden from you. And, you know, obviously you weren't going in, taking his inventory and saying, oh, by the way, are you smoking marijuana, doing any methamphetamine and shooting into heroin? Because most parents don't do that. It's not organic to do that. It's not like saying, hey, you're eating high fat food and I see your pants are a little tight. It's a little different.
0: Right, right. I will tell you, though, that um, I found something in his room that I should have acted on. Um, Before he, right before he went off to college, I found a burnt piece of foil in his trash can and uh, it looked bad to me but i had no idea what it was i had no idea um what it meant and i thought long and hard about taking it to the police station and asking them what the hell is this and i i you know i didn't do it and i to this day
2: i wish i would have
1: Take your time. Take your time. Yeah.
0: So it's it's things like that that you just, you know, I mean, I, I probably, I, I don't know if it would have made a difference or not. I don't know how long he had been doing that. I mean, I know now that a burnt piece of foil is what you smoke heroin or Oxycontin on and, and then they, um, inhale it through a straw, but, you know, I didn't know then, and, but it, but it, like I said, I, I guess I didn't want to get him in trouble, but I thought it was something
1: bad. So, I'm going to ask you this question, and, and I know you well enough to know, to kind of know the answer, but what do you, what would you tell parents that, you know, and, and as you answer the question obviously thinking about what you might what would you have done differently regarding raising you know your child you know if you could do it again
0: you know I'm just a firm believer in um old-fashioned parenting um
1: were you an old-fashioned parent
0: I was not okay no not you know I, I mean I I would go in and out of it but it's just so much easier to what, what does you know. that mean though? Old, old fashioned parenting. <laughs> what does that mean? Yeah, I'll explain it. Okay. Making them, making them earn everything that they get. Um, you know, my kids, okay. did, they did get cards, cards when they were 16, you know, having chores around the house. And I was just, I would do those things and then, and then it just got to be too much work with all four boys. And, um, you know, and I had a cleaning lady a couple of days a week, so it was easier for her to just come in and, and clean their rooms and not have the huge arguments and, you know, but to, to just tell your kids, you're not leaving until you've got your room cleaned up, you know, it's it, certainly on weekends and, um, and, 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 taking care of themselves. Cause I think that is the only way that you can build self, self-esteem, you can't give it to kids you know, by giving them a car when they turn 16 or whatever, they have to earn it. And so I feel like that is, I think that's an important component of, of, of really of, of building self-esteem. And I think a good self-esteem is, is probably a, at least a little bit of a leg up regarding not doing drugs. If they really know who they are and where they're coming from and where they're going they're, they that, you know, they, hopefully they will think a little, little longer and a little harder instead of thinking my parents will have my back. They'll fix it. If something goes wrong here, you know, they, that, they're a little more taking care of themselves. It's my theory anyway.
1: You know, I've, I've been in this, this field a long time. And one of the things that I know and I believe, and I talk about is that the disease of addiction is an allergy and some people are just allergic, meaning whenever they put something mood altering in their body, things happen in a way that make it much more difficult to say stop or to control it. Where others can do it, you know, mm-hmm. roughly eighty five percent of the population can do it and not have an okay. issue. But the fifteen percent who actually have this disease, like those who have diabetes, so mm-hmm. when I hear you talk about you know structuring a, a more discipline, and you know, I, I think those are great tools. I mean, th- there's science that mm-hmm. shows now that. The families that seem to be the more intact, if you will, or have a mm-hmm. flow of communication or having dinner three nights a week together, you know, right. that's the science. But on the other hand, that's that's old science. And, you know, we have kids are doing things differently today. What, what you know, my kids did at 20, you know, I may have done at 30. And, you know, their kids are going to, you know, get that information at age 10. So we're moving pretty quickly as a world. So I, I think, you know, your, your points are valid. And I think parents, as they listen to this, you know, because I got to tell you, I, I've dealt with thousands of, of individuals who suffer from this disease of addiction and talk to people mm-hmm. who have been married for 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years. Mm-hmm. Somebody, you know, in, in the bed with them every single night and eating dinner with them and going out and socializing didn't realize until it blew up that this individual had a cocaine problem or a methamphetamine right. problem. It's amazing right. how far the addict will go to hide it And, of course, if you're part of the family and it's in your family and you're on the other side of it and you're, you know, you're finding yourself either, A, not wanting to believe it or, B, not sure how to approach it or, you know, you you just don't want to, you know, upset the the cart, you you, you tend to kind of just bring it inside, internalize it and go, well, I'll just try to do more here and do more there. And it's really hard to do if you don't know how to manage it. And most people don't. I mean, who gets the skills for these kind of things until they absolutely have to? So, Sandy… Tell you us.
0: Know, I to add one more thing to that, as far sure. as the parents, because one of the one of the issues about you know you think about a kid that's using drugs, you think it's going to be obvious that they're using, mm-hmm. and with with opiates, it's not not at first. Um, you know, you when mean the physical, you mean
1: the physical signs, the behavioral the, changes, those kind of things.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, somebody that's using Vicodin, they might get a little burst of energy um, to where. You know, that kid that normally is playing video games all day and is, you know, a little heavier and, you know, not very motivated, all of a sudden he's feeling so good about himself Mm -hmm. that he wants to start exercising and, you know, he wants to join a team. And so it's not, you know, nothing like a kid that's drinking or smoking pot. It's the opiate thing is is very, very different at first until they really start, um, until that addiction starts really... Taking them downhill, got it. And thats hard.
1: So, my last question before we talk about the nonprofit is: so, to your point just there, what would you tell parents how to keep their kids from doing drugs, and what are the signs to look for? More specifically, so take, taking your last point, and maybe you know, expanding on a little bit, what would you tell yeah. parents? And what signs? What should they look for?
0: I mean, the typical is, is that the, you know, the kids really don't want to face you when they, they know that they've been doing drugs. So they'll they'll try to avoid family situations. Um, I mean, there's no, there's no magic. There's no definite anything, but I would definitely say, you know, staying connected with your kids, paying attention, paying attention to their, who their friends are, um, staying connected with your friend, their friends, parents, um, you know, keeping the lines of communication open, you know, those are all pretty basic things that any parent should be doing anyway, you know, because drugs isn't the only thing they need to be concerned about. But, um, but I, you know, unfortunately I wish I had a, a, a definite, like, never, let, ne, never do this or always do this that would, that would ensure it, but I, I don't have anything like that.
1: Okay. No, it's a tough one. It's very opaque. But to your point, you know, the severity of some things versus others as a parent watching mm-hmm. a child, some things you're going to talk to others about, other things you're going to keep quiet, You know, the family mm-hmm. secret, so to speak. You're not going to really ask a family friend, hey, how do you think my son looked last night? And you know, knowing in the back of your head that they had just finished you know, four shots of tequila before they sat down for the family dinner with other family members. So it right. is a hard discussion. That's part of the stigma that we talk about here at happy hour on how we can really find ways to introduce the conversation so we can get to, Mm -hmm. you know, how do we help that individual and and do they want help and are they ready for help? And are they even aware that they have this problem? I mean, my drinking history, I thought I was drinking a lot because I was depressed and I Mm -hmm. think a lot of people do that. And, And, or it's just a justification of the subconscious mind. So let's let's jump into something really positive that you know you and I do together. Safe Homes mm-hmm. Coalition is an organization, nonprofit here in San Diego that's done work actually, in Boston, Mass. And it's an it's a medication removal program. It's basically helping educate members of the community on how to how to remove unsafe and unused you know um, prescription medication mostly out of the home. and, and In 2016, 264 million prescriptions for Oxycontin. That's 264 million prescriptions now, not pills, prescriptions were written in our country alone. And according to science and the data, about 61% of those still sit in medicine cabinets today. And this is July 2020. And Sandy, you've been involved with Safe Home Coalition actually way before I was. So would you share a little bit about, you know, your commitment with that and the work that you do with that and, and why you're involved?
0: Well, I'll tell you the, the, the first, um, and most, um, the, the biggest part of what I loved about it is that, you know, I had been doing, uh, a drug education for years and, um, and that always involved me having to tell my story, which I don't love telling. Um, you know, it's still hard for me. But what I loved about the uh, Safe Homes Coalition is that it could be a little bit more on a professional level, and I didn't have to tell my story so much, but it it always ends up coming out anyway. Um, But doing drug education, you know, uh, you're talking till you're blue in the face, and you have no idea if anybody's listening. You have no idea if you've made any difference at all, and there's no way to know. There's absolutely no way to know all those years of putting that effort forth. You you just don't know. I I assume that it did. And it's super important. It needs to continue. But what I loved about safe homes coalition is if one person clears out their medicine cabinet and disposes of those drugs, all of those drugs are drugs that aren't going to be abused. And that is, I love how, how, Definite that is. It's so quantitative, and um, and 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 just the look on somebody's face when you tell them that kids are going into open houses and stealing drugs out of medicine cabinets. Your plumber might be going through your medicine cabinet, and if he's not using it, he could be reselling it because those drugs are really valuable on on the street. So Sandy, and so sh- look- share,
1: share those. I'm yeah. sorry to interrupt. Share that again about what people are doing in open houses and what, you know, vendors that come in the house and caregivers come in the house and housekeepers come in the house and grandkids come in the house. But because that is something when I first heard it's like, you know, and I was, you know, I was a dope fiend, but the idea of doing something like that never existed. So it, it is a new way for drug seekers to get medication, and you don't need a prescription, you don't need to talk to a doctor, you don't have to go to a pharmacy, you don't need insurance, and there's a lot of inventory still sitting out there. So say that again, because I think families need to hear that this is something that's actually going on in real time right now on a regular basis.
0: And I don't know how long it's been going on, but I was made aware of it probably about four years ago, and then um, the Safe Homes Coalition was formed, and they asked me to, to be on the board but it's, I mean, it's ingenious. These, you know, we can't keep up with these kids, but yeah, people are going into open houses. That's a super easy target. But in addition to that, your plumber, your cleaning lady, just like you said, anybody that has access to your house and, you know, and more disturbing would be your grandkids or your kids or your kids' friends. But they're just, it's an easy target there. You know, you open up a medicine cabinet, see what's there. And most homes have some kind of Vicodin or something that was left over from a, an oral surgery or, or whatever. And it, it's, it's an easy target, but it's super dangerous. And if, if we can keep those out of the hands of your kids or grandkids, that is, that's step one. That's absolutely step one.
1: No, that's, that's great information. So make it a safe org. make it a safe home.org organizations called safe homes coalition. So Sandy is still an active board member, which means she's my boss as well. And my annual reviews coming up. So hopefully we'll get her enough exposure on this show that they'll keep me around a little bit longer. So Sandy, listen, I'm, Thank you for sharing your story, you know, and I I know you're not necessarily overly comfortable sharing it, but I think it's so important for people to hear that they're not alone and that, you know, maybe some insight from you uh, on this, you know, episode, uh, it, it will help them better understand, maybe prevent, maybe make a phone call first and you know, ask for help. I mean, that's something we talk about week after week here is how to ask for help, and it's not easy to do. So one last question. If you had a magic wand, what would you want to do with it, You know, knowing that the listeners out there might be triggered by your magic wand as far as information, education, prevention, um, holistic sharing um, from your gut, something you've never shared. But with a magic wand right now, what would you tell people with your oh magic gosh. wand?
0: Well, I mean, first of all, I, I, you know, I wish that I had known you when I was going through my troubles because finding somebody that you trust is, that's the hardest thing. You can get on there and Google, um, you know, help with (laughs) with a drug addiction and there's a gazillion of them, but unfortunately there's a, there's just sort of a gazillion of them that are just, they're looking at the bottom line. So first of all, you know, you're always the one that I recommend now, the first, the first one to call. And if you can't help them, you're going to figure out where to go because you're completely up on, on what, you know, what's available now at every, every level of income. And it's individual for every kid. There isn't, there's no cookie cutter for getting, for getting clean, but I think it it does matter kind of where you came from and how you were raised on how on what would be the best the best you know obviously, if I had a magic wand, I'd get rid of all the drugs, but um short of that, um just you know people need to get help if they think there's a problem
1: Good stuff, good stuff. Well, thank you, Sandy Nolan. And you know, I'm not going to ask you to put your phone number out there. But so, what people can do, unless you really want to, people can actually reach out to me. You know, at six one nine 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 three two seven three eight, and then we'll find a way to get the information uh, over to Sandy and see if Sandy might be available and could help, or maybe we could even have a, a three way conversation. Does that sound okay to you, Sandy?
0: Well, absolutely. And I've always been there as a parent advocate. I get calls from parents all the time, and you know, I I don't have any skin in the game, so. Um, I think people are kind of and, – and I've been through it, so there's certainly no judgment. Um, anybody that, that wants to call and talk about their child, I'm, I'm happy to offer advice. Um, and, you know, the advice is always going to be, though, you know, let's see if we can get them in to talk to Scott. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, if
1: you're at- – You're considering yourself a feeder for me, and that's one of the things your magic one. because that's what I do. I'm a family navigator, and not many people do that. There's clinicians out there. There's psychologists out there, psychiatrists out there. There's crisis hotlines out there, people who suffer from untreated trauma, mental health issues, behavioral health issues, co-occurring issues. There's lots of experts out there, but sometimes how to navigate, you know, what questions should I ask? I mean, when, when I get phone calls, my son is acting out, or my daughter is, you know, inappropriately behaving, and, you know, it takes a good 30 minutes just to kind of go through some of the basics. And a lot of it's, you know, the, the parents trying to help the child without the skills they need to do it. And my yeah. example always is, you know, if you have a problem with your car, you don't go on YouTube, you call your mechanic. So with that being said, Michael, let me throw it back to you and then I'll, I'll close it up. And um, you've been quiet today. So I know you were enjoying our guest and Sandy, before we, I forget again, thank you so much for taking time here and, and sharing your experience, strength and hope and your personal journey and, I know it's been painful and I know it, it hurts when you talk about it, but hopefully in some little way it helps heal some of that pain as well. And I know for a fact that there'll be somebody out there that says, Oh my God, I'm not alone anymore. I'm going to call Scott, and get a hold of Sandy and we're going to talk.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, you're, you're welcome to give out my phone number anytime. Well,
1: You give it out then if you want to give it out. I'm not going to give it out.
0: Um, well, it's 858. Oh. You ready? Go ahead. Eight five eight three nine five seven two four five.
1: Say it again, loud and slow.
0: Eight five eight three nine five seven two four five. The last four numbers spell sale, sail S A I L. So three nine five S A I L.
1: And that'll be another story you can tell them when they call you, right? <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> All right, Michael, back to you. Yeah, I just want to emphasize that you, know, you guys are located in San Diego, but you don't have to live in San Diego to uh, to get help from either Scott or Sandy. Um, Correct. Uh, also, yeah. I want to mention that the Safe Home Coalition uh, is, is based in San Diego, and I believe you said Massachusetts as well, Scott?
1: We, we did it. There was a major event before I came on board and that was done. And it's one of those kind of things that can be done in any state in the country. And to be honest with you, I have not found others. I mean, the DEA has what's called a uh, National Drug Take Back Day, which is coming up in October of this year. It's going to be a lot different, obviously, with the COVID uh, virus. But in the meantime, you know, we can we can replicate what we've done here. And I know Sandy loves to travel. So once it's safe, we'll get her on a plane if you want some help. But we can set everything up virtually and they can go to our website, make it a dot org. And all of the you know structure and, and some of the videos that were done and how it's done, and it can be done in, in any community, no matter how big or how small anywhere. so hopefully if people pick you know something up today from the podcast as well, it's you know how to do and how to, how to get that medication out of the home in a, in a safe way, and it's not that hard and it's pretty straightforward, and it, it really it doesn't cost a whole lot of money, it's just a few things you need to have to do it and or know how to navigate it, and we know how to do that so
2: and you don't have beaches. to depend on a certain day of the month or a certain day nope. of the year. It's nope. all the time. So I think, Correct. you know, like Correct. here, in here in Louisiana, we have, uh, every once in a while, the police will do a, a drop-off at one of the malls, mm-hmm. but that may be, like you said, once or twice a year, uh, right. safe home co- co- safe home coalition would be 365 days a year. So that's Correct. a much better yeah. solution. And I think that, you know, get more of these, uh, up and running in cities, especially large cities, uh, the better. Uh, I just want to mention Scott that, um, uh, you said in the beginning that I should, you know, say something about my other podcast, which is in a like yours. And that's where I met Scott. Uh, it's a true storytelling podcast where I asked my guests to come on and tell a story of something that happened in their life that changed them in a significant way. And Scott was my guest back in September of 2019. And he talked about his recovery story. And it was just phenomenal i mean it's just what he went through and how he survived is is just something i mean he was on the verge of of suicide unfortunately that didn't happen and now he's 30 years later he's here helping others so um i encourage you to go back and listen to that episode someday i may go ahead and re-release it on scott h silverman's happy hour uh but until then uh, go go to um in a city like yours and listen to back in september of 2019 scott's episode uh, Sandy, thank you so much for, uh, being on the show today. And Scott, why don't you leave us with a quote of the day?
1: Okay. Uh, just, again, I'm going to put my phone number out there. 619-993-2738. And I dare people to call me and we'll do everything we can to help you navigate next steps. So the quote for the day, I don't know if it's a quote, more of a statement. Uh, and it's interesting that, you know, normally we ask our guests to do it, but, but Sandy, um, only speaks four languages. So I, she asked me to do it. And I went right to this one. It's interesting. Uh, here it is. I know that no matter what happens, I will be okay. I know that no matter what happens, I will be okay. Okay.